I love you, church. Thank you for being who you are and allowing God to use you in the ways that he does. Over the last year, we've been thinking a lot about this idea of reflect and renew, doing some serious introspection, self-examination, and looking at our lives. And I, I know that every, every Sunday that I preach a sermon, somebody will say to me, you really stepped on my toes this week, preacher. And I always tell people the same thing. I was aiming for my toes, so if I hit yours, it was just collateral damage. But I, I know that when you, when you do a Bible study, when you open up the, the Bible individually, or you sit down in a Bible class, or you hear a sermon, uh, there's, there's a very good possibility that at some point, you're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel convicted. You're going to realize that I've, I've said things that I shouldn't have said. I've done things that I shouldn't have done. Or there were things that I should have done that I haven't. Things that I've ignored. Things that I have been apathetic about. And I haven't lived up to the calling and the standard to which I've been called. And what can unfortunately happen at that point when we feel convicted and we feel guilty is sometimes we get, as we've been saying, stuck in a rut of guilt and shame. Have you been there? Have you ever been stuck in this cycle of guilt and shame? Here's how sometimes it works. You, you have a situation where you failed. We've been there for sure, haven't we? Every single one of us, we've failed in some way. We've said something we shouldn't have said. We did something we shouldn't have done. We thought something we shouldn't have thought. We went somewhere we shouldn't have gone. And so we realize or, or somebody accuses us of failing. It says, you, you did this wrong. You shouldn't have done this thing. And so we have a feeling of guilt. Sometimes it's a huge, overwhelming feeling of guilt. Sometimes it's just a twinge of guilt. Sometimes it's just a question of guilt. Have I done something wrong? Am I guilty here? Should I not have done that? Should I not have said that? Should I not have gone there? I don't know if you're anything like me, but every time I have interactions with other human beings which is a lot, I go home and I think to myself, why, why did you say that, Wes? You and your big mouth, why did you say what you said? Or why did you not stop yourself from just going on and on? And so we have this feeling of guilt. I shouldn't have done that thing. Or I should have done more. I should have helped more. I should have been better. And so after we feel guilty, sometimes we fear the consequences we fear the consequences from, from God, or we fear the consequences from other people. And so we're afraid. If people don't know already what I've done, what if they find out? What if, what if I'm discovered? What if people know what I've thought? What if people know what I've said? What if people know what I've done? What, what, if, people, what if people are aware of this? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? What is God going to do? How does God think about me? Is God going to punish me? Sometimes we're afraid that the things we're already going through are the consequences for mistakes that we made in the past. And, and then, of course, we have this tendency, like Adam and Eve, to flee, don't we? to hide ourselves, to isolate ourselves, to remove ourselves from other people and from God. The last thing we want to do when we feel guilty is be around other people. We, we, we feel like maybe they can see it on our face. They look into our eyes and we're afraid that they're going to know what we've done. And so we isolate ourselves from other people. We hide ourselves. We, we flee the situation. And then sometimes that, that turns to feelings of shame. When we begin to internalize all of this. And we say, not only have I done wrong, not only have I failed, but I am a failure. And there's typically a social aspect to shame. I like to say that guilt is when we feel like we've done wrong, and shame is when we feel like we don't belong. 
We feel like if, if people really knew me, they wouldn't accept me. And so we feel like I, I don't belong with the people that I love, the people that I want to be around. So if I'm going to be around them, I have to hide this aspect of who I am because I am so hopelessly broken that no one could love me and I can't fit in and I can't be a part of the groups I want to be a part of. And we internalize all of this and think that we are beyond repair. And then, of course, there's this effort to or trying to fix it. That's what we try to do, isn't it? We try to fix it. We take it upon ourselves to fix it. Like Adam and Eve with the fig leaves, we try to fix the situation. Either we try to make it as if it didn't happen, and that's a whole lot like squeezing tooth, uh, toothpaste out of a tube. You've done that, and then you thought, oops, I, I got too much. Good luck getting it back in the tube, right? That's the way it is with what we've said and what we've done. And what we've thought. You, you can't undo what you did. You can't unsay what you said. You can't unthink what you thought. But yet we try, don't we? We try to, to fix the situation or we just try to fix the way we feel about it. We try to fix our guilty feelings. And so we try to justify it. We lie about it. We hide it. We, we try to shift the blame and say, well, you know, I I know I wasn't perfect, but it was really their fault. And if they hadn't done that, I wouldn't have done this. And it's really all about them. And so we, we shift the blame. We justify it. We lie about it. Sometimes we try to medicate it and distract ourselves. Distract ourselves with something digital or something chemical. But whatever it is that you do to try to fix it, whether you try to undo it and make it as if it didn't happen, or you just try to fix your feelings about it, or you shift the blame where it's not really your fault and it's really someone else's fault, or you try to justify it, whatever you do to try to fix it, I guarantee you, you will fail. And that brings us back to the start of the cycle, doesn't it? And once again, we realize we failed. I mean, think back to the mistakes that you've made in your life. How many of the things that we've done in our life that we regret, were we in that moment, we were trying to fix something else that we had already done. We did something we shouldn't have, and then we lied about it. We did something we shouldn't have, and we felt guilty about it, and so we were trying to medicate it and distract ourselves from it, and we just keep making the situation worse, and we get trapped in this cycle. And I'll tell you, Satan loves for us to be stuck in a cycle of guilt and shame. Satan loves that, because as long as you are obsessed with your own sin, as long as you're obsessed with what you've done wrong, as long as you're obsessed with your guilt, you are of very little use to God. We don't love God very well when we're obsessed with our own sin and guilt. We don't love other people very well when we're obsessed with all the things we've done wrong. We're not filled with joy when we're obsessed with all the things we've done wrong. We don't help people. We don't serve people. We don't do good for people when we're obsessed with all the things that we've done wrong. And it's miserable, isn't it? We've all been here, haven't we? There's only one person who has ever not been stuck in a cycle of guilt and shame, and that's Jesus. The rest of us have done things that we shouldn't have done, and when we recognize it or realize it or are accused of it, we've very often made the situation worse by trying to bury it, hide it, or justify it, distract ourselves from it, or medicate it. 
So I want to talk about this morning, how do, we, how do we avoid that cycle in the first place? But once we're in that cycle, once we're in the rut of guilt and shame, how do we break out of that? And I think a great place to start is the book of Psalms, chapter 32. Psalm 32 is a great place for us to start. A Psalm of David. Listen to what he says. He starts the same way the Psalm we read last week begins. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Think about that word, blessed. Again, like we talked about last week, the Hebrew word is ashrei. It means happy, fortunate. This is the fortunate life. This is the blessed life. This is the happy life. The blessed life is the forgiven life. The forgiven life. We, we often think, what does it mean to have the life? We, we use phrases like that all the time, don't we? Oh, that's the life. What does it mean to have the life, the good life, the blessed life, the happy life? We, we often think it's about climbing the ladder, about being successful, having a nice house, driving a nice car, being healthy, being strong, but it doesn't matter how many of those things you have. It doesn't matter if you have the nicest car, the, the biggest house, the nicest clothes. It doesn't matter if you're perfectly healthy and strong. If you are stuck in this rut and cycle of guilt and shame, you will be miserable. You won't have the happy life, the blessed life. And conversely, even if you are sick, even if you're poor, even if things are going wrong, if you're forgiven, if you're forgiven then you have the blessed life. You can have joy like you cannot even begin to imagine. This is the happy life. This is the blessed life. This is the joy-filled life is the forgiven life. Think about some of these words that he uses for sin. And we talk about some of these words before, but man, this is so important. Transgression. The Hebrew word there means betrayal. Betrayal. The breaking of trust. And the word sin, the Hebrew word there means to fail to act or think or speak according to God's will. And the word iniquity means something that is perverse or crooked or twisted or corrupt. This is what sin is. It's a, it's a failure to do as God wants us to do. It's a betrayal of God. It is something that is twisted and perverse and corrupt. But then these words for forgiveness, these are good words, aren't they? Let them sink down deep into your heart. Forgiven. The Hebrew word there means to, to take something away, to lift it away, to bear it away. That's what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? He's borne our sins. He's taken them away. He's lifted them off of us. And if you've ever felt guilt, we even talk about guilt that way sometimes, like it feels like a crushing weight. And forgiveness is God lifting it off of you, taking it away from you, forgiven and covered Covered is the idea that God has given it a proper burial. God has atoned for it. God has covered over it. And then the word not counted. He, he keeps no record of it. it. It's off your record. Your record has been officially and legally expunged. That's good, isn't it? It's good. This is the good news that your record is clean. 
This is the blessed life. This is the happy life. This is the ashray life. The life of knowing that God has lifted your burden off of you. That he's covered over your sin. That he has taken your record and made it perfectly clean. So that there is no outstanding debt against him. He goes on to further explain this blessed life. He says, in whose spirit there is no deceit. The person who is honest, honest with God, honest with each other, honest with themselves about who they are and what they've done. No more hiding, no more pretending, no more trying to justify it, no more trying to pretend it's somebody else's fault, but the person who isn't deceitful and who is honest about who they are and what they've done. Verse 3, David says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. See, this is what happens when we flee. This is what happens when we try to fix it. This is what happens when we hide it. This is what happens when we justify it. This is what happens when we shift the blame. This is what happens when we just try to distract ourselves or medicate ourselves. This crushing weight is on us, isn't it? You felt that. Maybe you feel that right now. Maybe you've been dealing with this crushing weight of guilt and shame for months, for years, for decades. And you know this pain, my bones wasting away, groaning all day long. My strength was dried up. But, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. David, speaking to the Lord, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Isn't that interesting? God covers over But God does a great job of covering over sin. God gives it a proper burial. We do a horrible job of trying to cover over our sin, don't we? We try to, but when we try to cover over our sin, it's always right there below the surface, a stinking mess that we've done a very poor job of trying to cover over. And it's always exposed, and we're always afraid someone's going to find out. And David says, finally, I uncovered it. I acknowledged it to you. I confessed it to you. And notice, now we're not just talking about some guy, some person who has the blessed life. This isn't theoretical, it's personal. My iniquity, my transgressions, my sin. And David's not just writing this for his own benefit, about his own relationship with God. The Psalms were meant for Israel to meditate on, think about, to pray, to sing. And they're for the church to meditate on, to think about, to pray, to sing. It has to be personal. My my iniquity, my transgression, my sin. We are guilty of every category of disobedience, aren't we? I am guilty of every category of disobedience. But the beauty of this psalm is that every category of disobedience is forgivable. It's good news, isn't it? Because sometimes we get to thinking, well, maybe mine's not. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I said. You don't know where I've been. But this is written so that everyone would know 
that there is no category of disobedience that is unforgivable. Jesus says there's only one sin that's unforgivable. That is to observe the work of the Holy Spirit and to ascribe it to demons. Blasphemy the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that Jesus says is unforgivable. Every category of disobedience can be forgiven to the one who acknowledges it and confesses it. And David says, I took all of my disobedience, my sin, my transgression, my iniquity, all of it, my betrayal, my twistedness, my perverseness, my crookedness, my failures, and I exposed them. No more hiding, no more deceiving, no more pretending, no more distracting. I confess them to you, and you forgave. You took it away, you covered it over. You straightened me out. You fixed what I couldn't. And this, this is the blessed life. This forgiveness. No more mess. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. See, This is what happens when you stop trying to fix it. So we always think we have to do with our guilt, isn't it? I have to fix it. And so we try to cover over it. And we make a mess of things when we try to cover over it. Instead, we have to let God give it a proper burial. And instead of hiding in our sin, we've got to hide in the Lord. Those are your two options. You either hide in your sin or you hide in the Lord. And if you hide in your sin, oh, it's so ridiculous, isn't it? The way we try to hide in our sins, it's like like an elephant trying to hide behind a stop sign, isn't it? We must look ridiculous to God. Imagine what God thought. Imagine how Adam and Eve looked as he walked through the garden and there they were trying to hide from God. Looks ridiculous, doesn't it? Taking fig leaves, trying to cover over your shame. That's how ridiculous it looks to God when we try to deal with our sin, when we try to deal with our guilt, when we try to deal with our shame, when we try to deal with our brokenness. Instead of confessing it and acknowledging it and admitting it and opening it up to God and saying, here it is, here I am, here's what I've done, and God can fix it. God can forgive it. And when he does, when you experience that, when you believe that, when you accept that that's what God has done for you, it changes everything. It changes your entire outlook on life. It changes how you live your life. In fact, he says that when you hide in the Lord, the waves can't reach you. You're not exposed anymore. You hide in your sin and you're exposed. You hide in the Lord and you are safe. You're secure doesn't matter what anybody knows about you. It doesn't matter what anybody says about you. It doesn't matter what anybody does to you. The Lord is your hiding place. The Lord is your rock. The Lord is your fortress. You are safe and secure in Him. When you're forgiven by God, you are safe. Otherwise, you're always vulnerable. You're always exposed. And we know that, don't we? We know that when our skeletons are buried just below the surface, there's always the danger. Somebody's going to find me out. And we're afraid. And we don't love God well. We don't love others well. We don't love ourselves well. And we're always hiding. We're always afraid. But when we hide ourselves in the Lord, we don't have to be afraid anymore. 
It doesn't matter what anybody knows. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what anyone does. The psalm goes on, and it kind of switches who's speaking and to whom they're speaking. Maybe now God is speaking to the reader, or maybe David is sort of taking on the role of the teacher, and instead of speaking to God, he's speaking to the reader. But he says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be, with, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it won't stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Let me read that again. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. See, as we said last week, God doesn't just want to forgive you. He wants to teach you. He not only wants to break you out of that cycle of sin and shame, he wants you to avoid getting into it in the first place. He wants us to do better, to be better. And and it's by believing these truths, it's by trusting in him, it's by following him that not only can we experience the joy of forgiveness, but that he can begin to teach us wisdom in the way we walk. He says, "Don't, don't be like an animal that you have to put up Put a bit and bridle on them, otherwise they won't go where you want them to. Don't be stubborn like that. Trust in him. Follow him. That's where the joy is found. No more of this cycle over and over and over again. And we make such a mess of our lives, don't we? And so much of our life is consumed by the way we feel about what we've done and trying to hide what we've done and trying to make up for what we've done, but God has a better way for us. In fact, Paul quotes from this psalm in Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. We read that again. The blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. God makes us right, puts us in a right covenant relationship with him. He sets us right. He lifts our sins off of us. He straightens us out. He forgives us. He covers over. He does all of this not because of what we've done but because of what he has done, because of who he is. And see, so many of us stay in this cycle of shame and guilt because we keep focusing on what we've done. And we say, well, how could God forgive me after all the things I've done? How could God forgive me after the person I've been? How could God forgive me after what I've thought and after what I've said? That's the good news. It's not based on who you are. It's not based on what you've done. It's based on who he is and on what he has done and whether or not you trust in him. Whether or not you believe this truth that God forgives. And when you believe that, it changes everything. But I know that there are people in this room right now, there are many of us who are stuck in this cycle 
Some of you, because you haven't yet put Jesus on in baptism, you haven't responded to that offer for God to forgive your sins. And maybe you're telling yourself, well, after I straighten out my life, after I put things in order, then I'll be baptized. It's not how it works. That's how you got in this mess in the first place. By trying to make it right yourself. Surrender yourself to him. That he can forgive you. And some of us have done that, but we, we keep repeating the same behaviors over and over again, and we need to stop. We need to repent. We need to trust him enough to live differently. And then others, we've, we've been baptized and, and we've repented of our sins, but there's still something that we did maybe even a long time ago and we can't believe that God forgave us. We just can't accept that. I remember preaching a sermon like this in Abilene and I, I threw out an arbitrary date. I just threw out a date and I said, some of you keep thinking about that thing you did in 1975 and you can't believe that God has forgiven you of that. And after service, I, I walked out of the building and there was a sister there and she was just weeping. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, 1975, the year you said, that was the year I had an abortion. And I just, I can't believe that God has forgiven me of that. And I said, sister, I know God has forgiven you. You know how I know? Because I was there when it happened. I saw you be baptized. I know what God has said to you. I know what God has said about his grace and his mercy and his love. I know that you are forgiven. And if God says you're forgiven, who are you to argue with God? Who are we to argue with God? If God says you're forgiven, if God says you're in Christ, if God says your sins have been taken away from you as far as the east is from the west, who are we to say, no, I don't believe you? See, that's the problem, isn't it? Sometimes, sometimes we beat ourselves up over sin, self-flagellation. And sometimes we think that the answer is self-forgiveness. But we could put it this way. The answer to guilt is neither self-flagellation, beating ourselves up over it, nor self-forgiveness, but fully trusting in the forgiveness of God in Christ. To understand the impulse that says, I need to forgive myself for what I did. But somewhere deep inside, you know that's, that's not working. Because you don't believe yourself. Because you know the worst about yourself. You know what you've said and you know what you've done. In fact, you probably even know you don't really have the authority to forgive yourself. And I understand that impulse. But what you really need to do is accept and trust and believe that if you are in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven. There's a reason that self-forgiveness is so hard. It's because in some ways it's impossible. But the forgiveness of God is right there for your receiving. Receive it by faith. Believe it. See, that's, that's the key. Believe the gospel, break the cycle. That's what breaks the cycle. Believe the gospel. Believe that God in Christ has forgiven your sins. And when you believe that, when you really believe that, and, and, and church, that's hard work. Belief is hard work. You telling me that God really has forgiven me? Yes. Yes. Whatever it takes for you to believe that truth, that if you've responded to the good news of Jesus in faith, that you're forgiven, then do the hard work of believing that you are forgiven. 
And when you believe that truth, when that truth really sinks in, when that becomes your identity, that you are forgiven, your sins are covered, your sins are taken away, when that becomes the truth, the reality about yourself that you believe above everything else, oh, it changes everything. You can live life with a joy that other people can't even understand. You can love people like you've never loved people before. You can love God like you've never loved him before. You say, well, I've got a, a lot to be forgiven of. Good, good. You remember, you remember the, the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair and with her tears? There's a reason she loved so much. It's because she was forgiven of much. So if you have a lot to be forgiven of, good. Then that means you're going to love God like nobody else. Believe the gospel. Break the cycle. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready to respond for the first time to the good news of Jesus by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Or maybe you've been baptized, you just need to come home and repent. Confess to others, confess to God. Whether you do it here or you do it at home, stop. Stop beating yourself up. I don't know what we think we're accomplishing by beating ourselves up for the sins Jesus was already beaten up for those sins. He was crucified for those sins. Let him take them. Let him forgive you. So if we can help you to repent, if we can just pray for you, our shepherds would love to pray with you in the prayer room, or you can come forward. As together we stand, sing this song.